celebrate his name this morning. Thank you, Lord.
Can we lift our hands this morning? Lord, you are the lion that comes roaring. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. You are a God of authority. You're a God of righteousness. You're a God of purity. And we worship that King this morning. We worship that King this morning. He is strong in battle. Oh, if God before us, who can be against us? If God before us, who can be against us, people?
is rejoiced as though heaven had lost. Ha, come on, sing. Life is a journey and we need a guide. We need the word of God to light our paths. Scripture is powerful and it is truth. It is breathed by God himself. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces deep into the soul. We need his word to train us and to teach us how to live righteously. In his word, we find life. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will stand forever. Trust in his eternal word and he will guide your path.
If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. <laughs> Continuing our series through Hebrews. This has come out of our poverty. Let's come out of our prosperity. Come on, is anybody helping me? I'm not trying to be mean to you, but I'm, I'm just kind of um, hoping that we'll, we'll really overwhelm this week. It's our last week. Let's really be a blessing to Agape. Thank you for being here this morning. I know we're starting to fill up, and we want to respect social distancing. And if you ever come in and you can't find a place, we are running the service upstairs in BSC. You're welcome to go in there. It is hosted in there. And you say, well, if I'm going to watch it on video upstairs, I may as well watch it at home. Wrong. Uh, that's wrong. Because there you can enter into community. You can be together with other people. So join us up there. We want to make sure that everyone has space. We're doing the things we need to do. Last thing, annual business meeting is next Sunday night at 530. So put that down on your calendar. Next Sunday night at 530, we're going to celebrate that we um, didn't die during COVID. I've thought about how to write an annual report for this year. <laughs> it's like uh, unbelievable. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't watched it happen, the craziness that's gone on. But you know what's been really great about looking back at the past year? All through the chaos. Do you know what I see? I see the faithfulness of the hand of God all the way through. All the way through. That would have been a great place for the rest of you to clap too. <laughs> I've seen his faithfulness. Well, we're in Hebrews. We're up to chapter 4. I hope you're enjoying this journey. It's better things in the book of Hebrews. And uh, I've asked another one, or Carol has asked another one of our Bible quizzers to come and quote. So come ahead, Craig. And um, he's going to quote from Hebrews chapter 4. attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Great job. Give Craig a hand. Thank you, Craig. And again, I'm trying to provoke you to jealousy that if our students can memorize, you'll begin memorizing as well. Talking about better things, we have a better Savior. He's better than the angels. And when we understand that, in chapter 2, we understand that we need to pay attention. Chapter 3 exhorted us to not let our heart get hard. So let's, let's kind of capture that for a moment. We have a better Savior. And I should add, not only is he better than the, is he better than the angels, he's also better than the prophets. And I'm just going to tell you, your private clause of prayer is more important than the prophet on Facebook. That's right. Come on, hear me now. 
There is stuff being thrown around all over the place, and we've clearly seen that many of the prophets were wrong, should be embarrassed and repent and ask God for forgiveness. Come on. But we're not dependent on them because we're not in the Old Testament. We have a better Savior. Come on, help me this morning. You, you ought to get something out of that. We have a better Savior, and we rejoice in the goodness of Jesus Christ. So then we need to pay attention in the world that we're living in and not let our hearts get hard. I did another couple of credential interviews this week, young people going into ministry, and every time I get a chance, I tell them the most important lesson that I think they'll learn is to learn how to develop thick skin and keep a soft heart. That's the challenge of Christian faith, to keep a thick skin, not let everything offend you, but keep your heart soft. So chapter 4 is talking about entering into God's promised land. So this is going to be a little bit of teaching, and hopefully we'll get something out of it that will help us on Monday, entering into God's promised land. Now I want to remind you of how chapter 3 ended before we get into chapter 4. So I'm going to read a few phrases from chapter 3 that lead us into chapter 4. To whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? All right, what's it talking about? The promised land, the Sabbath rest of the promised land. To whom did God say they would never enter in? Those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So what we're being called to in the book of Hebrews is a place of promised land living. I've shared with you before that while the promised land is often used as a picture of heaven, it's not heaven. The promised land picture of the Old Testament isn't to illustrate heaven. How do you know that? Because there are no giants in heaven that I will have to drive out. There's no land that I will have to claim. There's no territory that I will have to settle. What is the promised land? It's the place of overcoming Christian life that you and I need to aspire to. You say, well, that'd be great. I'm not sure that I care if I get to the place of overcoming life. Well, there's only one other choice. If you don't aspire to being an overcoming Christian, the pressures that the Jews were experiencing in their day are the same kind of pressures we'll experience in this day, and the concern was, if you're not entering in the promised land, you're, you will die in the wilderness. It's not as though it's just okay, a good idea to try to be a victorious Christian. It is our calling. It's our calling to be overcomers in faith. And if we don't aspire to that, there's so many attacks and pressures that come that it's easy to lose our way. So what does this chapter tell us? What is it that we should pay attention to? Here, there are three things this morning that I want you to hear me say clearly that will help us be victorious Christians. How many of you want to be victorious? An overcoming, victorious Christian. Number one, you need to remember this. The promise still stands. Regardless of what's happened in your world, whatever's happened around us, the promise still stands. The second thing I want you to hear me say this morning is that the word of God is still powerful. 
It's coming under attack. It's being challenged by every side, being told that it doesn't matter and it's not relevant today. The promise of God still remains. The word of God is still powerful. And number three, the high priest is still active. Now, if you'll grab hold of those three things, that'll put you on a pathway to overcoming Christian um, experience, overcoming Christian living. The promise still stands. The word of God is still powerful and the high priest is still active. Not limited by culture, not limited by an election, not limited by COVID. All of the truths of the word of God are just as true today as they were a year ago, and we need to enter into those. Now, please, pay attention, chapter (laughs) 2. Don't harden your heart, chapter 3. Because if you do, you'll never enter into this place of overcoming Christian experience and the likelihood that you will die spiritually in the wilderness wanderings is extremely high. This isn't just a good idea. It's the saving of your life. So let's talk about chapters one, uh, verses 1 to 11. The promise still stands. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Now let's talk about that for a moment. You know that Sabbath rest was established during creation. That God established one day in seven that would be set aside for us to experience God's presence and power in life. Remember the Sabbath day not to take a nap. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It was a day of worship and sacred experience, not a day of lounging around. That's what the Sabbath was supposed to be. And then it is quantified in the Old Testament. Their very lives depended on honoring the Sabbath. There was a curse of God that came on them. But if that's what it was all about, that one day in seven, then that would have been fulfilled when they entered the promised land. But we're told in Hebrews that that was a picture. It was something that we we should aspire to, that there's something higher that we should strive for, that one day in seven is an illustration of a way that we ought to live. And it is still available to us because it's not been fulfilled. It's not been entered into. So I'm going to take a minute to take you back to the Old Testament, and I want you to understand a little bit about what this promise is about, what God was talking about. Now let's go first to Moses and Exodus. 33 and see if you pick up a theme here all right Exodus 33 verses 1 to 3 the Lord said to Moses leave this place and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promise on oath to Abraham Isaac and Jacob I'm going to pause there don't think I've lost my way the Sabbath experience and the promised land go hand in hand they were to have a Sabbath experience every day in the promised land how many are with me they walk together so he said I will give it to your descendants and what will I do listen here's what God promised when they went to the promised land I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, there are two things that stand out to me in that promise. 
Number one is a place of peace. When God will send an angel before you and drive out your enemies, how many of you would like to live in that place? Did they ever enter into that? No, no. Why? Because of unbelief. Because they didn't pay attention. Because they let their heart get hard. They never entered into that place. But that promise still stands that spiritually God wants to send his angel ahead of you and put your enemies to flight. It's a place of peace. You know what else it is? It's a place of prosperity. A land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know how you're wired, but I've tried poverty and I've tried prosperity and I personally like prosperity better. I see how you're going to be. <laughs> I like the blessing of God more than the struggle. I like the victory more than the battle. And that's when uh, Paul said, I know how to abound and be abased. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I agree with him. And I've learned whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. But the promise of God is a land flowing with milk and honey when one cluster of grapes is carried on a, on a beam between two uh, warriors that pictures prosperity what is God calling us to a place of peace and a place of prosperity then 33 verse 13 Moses is talking to God and he says this if you're pleased with me teach your teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you teach me your ways now, it's a whole other message, and I'm not going to digress very far, but I want you to understand the difference between Moses and the nation of Israel were, is revealed to us in Psalms. And here it is. Israel knew his acts. Moses knew his ways. You can decide where you want to live. Do you want to live where you recognize what God does, or do you want to live in a place where you know who he is? And Moses said, if I'm going to stay in your favor, I have to know who you are. I need to know how you work. I need to know those divine principles. So he's saying, God, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us to the promised land. What's that a promise of? The presence of God. Now watch. God wants us to find a place that has three important components. It has the peace of God, it has the prosperity of God, and it has the presence of God. That's what marks the Sabbath. That's what marks the Holy Land or the Promised Land. You living in a place where you're experiencing, you're experiencing the peace of God, your enemies are put to flight, you're experiencing the prosperity of God. He's blessing you abundantly. And you're experiencing the presence of God. You're walking with him. I hope that everybody wants that for them, for themselves. I want that. That's, and that's what I'm saying to you. The promise still stands. That promise that was in Exodus, that promise that came to Moses, that promise still stands. But... The story's not done because 
in the beginning of the journey, the promise wasn't given to Moses. It was given to Abraham. And Abraham took them partway, and then Moses tried to take them the rest of the way, and it's actually Joshua who gets to take them into the promised land. Moses also died outside of the promised land because he didn't pay attention and he let his heart get hard. And Joshua took them in. Well, let's go back a little further and hear what God said to Abraham in the initiation of the promise. The Lord said to Abraham, when this whole journey started with God's people, leave your country, your people, and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. What is that? We call it the promised land. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Watch. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That's the purpose of the promised land. Why does God want to give you peace? Why does God want to give you prosperity? Why does God want to give you his presence? What's the purpose for those blessings? That you and I can bless all the nations of the world. It's not to be a storehouse or a dead sea. It's to be a blessing of God that we understand our calling. I hope you're hearing me this morning because I'm about to dance. God's <laughs> blessings come on us peace prosperity and presence so that we understand it's not here for us to party it's here for us to bless the nations of the world we are the hope of this world we are the hope of the united states we are the hope of the plan of god that he has invested in the people of god and we are not the problem and our mindset needs to be such. The promise still stands being spiritually fulfilled. So then Hebrews 4, 8, 9. I've said all that to get you to this. For if Joshua had given them rest, when Joshua took them into the promised land, if that was the fulfillment, God would not have spoken about another day. He's saying to you, don't think that the promised land was what it was all about. That's a picture. Paul tells us in Corinthians that everything that happened to Israel was written for our learning. Why did they enter in? He says, if that had been the fulfillment, God would not have spoken about another day. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Is anybody hearing me this morning? There remains a Sabbath rest. So, see, here's what happens when you get quiet. My wife says I get punchy. <laughs> so I'm about to get a little punchy. Are you ready? Number one, <laughs> if you are constantly fighting the devil... It's because you're not paying attention and you've let your heart get hard because there remains a rest for the people of God. God did not intend for you to live in constant warfare. He wants you to live in constant peace. And how am I going to help someone who's demon-possessed if I can't drive the demons off my doorstep? If you are struggling 
and in a place that finances are destroying you, that isn't the will of God for you. I am not a prosperity preacher, and I know what it means when we say um, that God blesses you, that it's all about money. It's not. But he didn't promise them a land of raisins, dried up fruit. I like raisins. Don't take that wrong. Don't write to the companies. But a land overflowing with milk and honey. He promised them not a land of poverty, but a land of prosperity. And he wants to bless you. I had a businessman tell me something a couple weeks ago that's really rattled me. He said, Christian business owners are morally obligated to be successful for the glory of God. I had to ponder that a while. That's quite a statement to make. Now, prosperity is measured by, I know how it is, we measure it differently. But I'm saying to you that God wants to prosper you. And if you're not being prospered, then you have to ask yourself, where am I not paying attention? Maybe I don't need five lattes a day. Where am I not paying attention? And where is my heart getting hard? Because God wants you in a place of peace and he wants you in a place of prosperity. And then if you say, well, I never feel the touch of God in my life. We have a better savior. We have a better calling. We've got a better um, place that we're headed for. And if you never experienced the blessing of God, then stop and look. Where am I not paying attention? Where am I letting my heart get hard? Because there is the, the, the promise. Whoo! still stands. I said the promise still stands. Don't worry, I'm not selling holy water after the service. I'm not going to give you a wallet that if you give me $100, will never go empty. I don't believe in that foolishness, but I do believe in divine prosperity for the people of God. Listen, hear me this morning. There's a place you can live. There's a place you can live that's marked by the peace of God, the prosperity of God, and the presence of God. The promise still stands. Someone writing about it said it this way. Today's more modern definition of the promised land speaks about a better life, a better situation, join the Lord, and living the abundant life he promised us. It comes through our obedience and love for our mighty God. It's not... The the word rest here means to settle down and remain. It's not resting from effort, but settling into a dwelling place where you live. So I'm going to meddle a little bit more. God doesn't want you to have to work in a place where you hate your job. But he may not want to change your job. He might want to change your heart. Hello. Hallelujah. Somebody shout now. And God knows what level of blessing we can endure. I've said to people, I, I, when we talk about the lottery, most people, most people shouldn't play the lottery because if they happen to win, it would destroy them. God knows what level of blessing that you can steward. 
Some are two-city blessed. Some are five-city blessed. Some are ten-city blessed. Don't try to be a ten-city person if you're a two-city person. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God knows what you need. He knows where he can use you. And don't, but in that, there should be a sense of his prosperity, his blessing. You don't have to live constantly fighting. You don't have to live constantly struggling with money. You don't have to live in a place where you never sense God because the promise still stands. It still stands. It's a supernatural dwelling place. Now, I'm going to do this next section really quickly because it's a whole series in itself. How do you enter that rest? How do you enter into that promise? Verse 1, you need to be careful. And the word careful when it says, um, let us be careful. That, uh, I'm careful when I walk through the house at night in the dark. I'm careful. That doesn't always matter when my toe hits something that should not have been where my foot was going. <laughs> That's not what this word means. The word careful here loses its emphasis in English. It really means to be alarmed and put to flight, to give your care toward. Oh yeah, I'm being careful. That means to be cautious. That's not what this word means. It means to put all of your energy, all your care into pursuing this. If you want to enter this promise, it's got to be like an alarm going off that you're going to deal with it right away. Second, verse 3, you have to believe. Those who believe will enter. Those who don't believe won't. Verse 7, you've got to hear his voice today. He appointed a new day, called it today, so we can all enter in. And then again, verse 11, you have to make every effort. Failing to enter God's rest comes from a lack of believing and a lack of obedience. Disbelief, watch now, disbelief, causes you to disobey, which causes you to be disowned. Do you remember what he said in verse, uh, in chapter 3 of not being ashamed to call them his um, family? And yet here he says, there are some that I said you will never get in. That's how serious this is. I hope you're hearing me right now because this is life and death. When you disbelieve, it causes you to disobey. And the end result of that from Hebrews chapter 4 is to be disowned. That's not losing your salvation. That's rejecting your salvation. You don't have to fail. So the promise still stands. Why? Because secondly, the word is still powerful. I believe in the power of the word of God. The Bible says it's alive and active. It means to live, to breathe, to be among the living, not lifeless or dead. It's effectual and powerful. And the context is entering God's rest. How am I going to enter God's rest? You have to have some help. You've got to have some power. You have to have some strength. And it comes from this living, active, effective, powerful word of God. Get it on the inside of you. 
Biblical literacy is at an all-time low, and spirituality in the um, American church is almost bankrupt. We've we've replaced performance and programs and plans for the blessing of God and wonder why we're not being any more effective in changing our culture. It's because we need to enter into the place where we're not just doing things, but we're experiencing God. God forbid that this be a place that we have a a concert alone on Sunday and just a motivational talk. It's about experiencing God. Where does that happen? From his word. I'm appalled at the level of biblical ignorance that there is in America today. How do you know that? Because unfortunately, I read Facebook. I'm serious. Christians say things that are ridiculous. They're ridiculous because they haven't been in the book. Why am I having students quote to you? (laughs) Because you need it in your spirit. And the only way you're going to get it in your spirit is if you memorize it. So imagine with me for a moment that you're home and you hear the glass break and you're asleep. It's about two in the morning and you get up concerned and you come down from the bedroom to see what's going on. And as you're carefully sneaking down the stairs, you see a shadow go to another room and you flick on the lights and you see someone wearing a non-COVID mask (laughs) and they've got a bag with a bunch of your stuff in it and you confront them and they pull a gun and you say could you put a hold on that please I'll be right back I do have a gun upstairs and some ammo and I'd like this to be a fair fight I'll be right back (laughs) do you know what you call that dead how many would agree that's ridiculous it is just as ridiculous to think in the moment that you're in a battle with the devil he's going to back off so you can go get your concordance and find a verse don't leave the word of God in your nightstand. Get it in your spirit. Now, I'm not suggesting all of you sleep with a gun on your hip. That is not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that if you want to be ready for battle, you have to be armed. You have to be ready to face the devil. And the only way you can do that is to get this word that is quick and powerful, alive and effective, and get it inside of you. And when you get it inside of you, Those moments where the attack comes, you know what you find? You find the word of God flowing up out of your spirit into your mouth and you're equipped to drive the devil back. What was it Jesus said when he was tempted? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is still powerful. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how they argue it. It hasn't changed. Sin is still sin. People are still being destroyed by sin. 
and God's ways are still right and they will always be right and you're going to get more and more confused by an ungodly agenda that's going to try to shape our culture and more, uh, more radically go chasing after sin, drinking it like water and we'll experience um, wormwood and gall poured out on our nation. How are we going to avoid that? By getting the word of God. Is anybody hearing me right now? A hunger for the word of God, reading it, pursuing it, getting it on the inside. We need it because it penetrates and divides. Sometimes things need to be sorted out. <laughs> I know it's hard. How many know it's hard to sort right from wrong sometimes? Right? Sometimes it's hard. This last election, I mean, all I heard was, which, which way do we vote? Which way do we go? Which, which way do we go? Which way do we go? You know, do you take one candidate who says things everybody wish you wouldn't say or the other going after a different agenda? How do, how do you sort all that out? <laughs> Most of the arguments that Christians have today wouldn't happen if we're letting the sharp two-edged sword of the word of God pierce our own hearts and let it begin to sort out, let it begin to separate, the way would become clear. It penetrates and it divides even to the thoughts and intents of the heart. It judges thoughts and attitudes. Believing is the issue here. The word of God is a power to keep you in a place of believing. And as you read it, the word of God will begin to read you. And I don't know if you've ever had this. It happens to me all the time. So um, people will say to me, well, Sunday's message really kind of stepped on my toes. Are you kidding me? It's been stepping on my toes since Monday. Because when you read it, if it doesn't talk to you, you're not reading it right. It's going to show you things. It will point out areas of your life that need to be strengthened. I was, first church I was pastoring, I'll never forget, preaching through James. Book of James chapter 4 is talking about wisdom that's from above. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then uh, uh, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of uh, good fruit without partiality. And, but as I'm going through those and I'm asking, give me a word for the congregation today. Give me a word for the congregation today. And I'm praying for Sunday. And the Holy Spirit took me through each of those marks of wisdom from above and said, sit down, son. Is this you? The wisdom that is from above is first peaceable. Before you take it to the pulpit, how much of the peace of, 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 of God are you living in? That's what the word of God does. It begins to show you areas where you need to be strengthened. It can point out errors in philosophy, errors in theology. It can point out all kinds of things because it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Spiritual maturity is being able to measure between good and evil that we see a little bit later in Hebrews. So then, how many of you would agree we need more discernment from the Spirit? We're going to need it in this world that we're entering into. Well, I'm just going to pray for a gift. God's Spirit, listen. The power of God's spirit rests on the foundation of the word of God. 
If you want more of the working of the Spirit of God in your life, then lay a bigger foundation of the Word of God and you'll find yourself moving more in the supernatural. That the flow in the supernatural is directly related to the Word of God that's invested in you. I was... This would have been... Late 70s, early 80s. A lot of this stuff isn't new that we're experiencing today. And I had my first experience with a teaching that we were going to go into the tribulation. And several people from our church were going. And so I went to Waterloo to hear this guy teach. And he's teaching that you need to have a, you know, a hundred gallon tank on a vehicle so you can go to the mountains and hard red winter wheat and all the stuff that you need to have and find a cave and stock it and then put a kill zone in front of your cave. And when people try to come in to get your stuff, shoot them first, ask questions later. And it went on and on with that, that the Antichrist is going to come. We're all, and I'm listening to that. And I am in my twenties, I'm terrified thinking, God, I'm failing your church. We need to start this Sunday. I'm driving home. Do you know what began to happen? As I'm driving home, scripture that I'd memorized floated to the surface. Do you know what the first one was? I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What is this doctrine producing? Fear. And then began other verses that I'd memorized. And then I went back to study. I'm telling you, if you want discernment and the power of God speaking to you, get the living, powerful word of God on the inside. You will never enter God's place of promise if you don't spend time in his word. The word is still powerful. <laughs> and, and here's the best news. Verse 14, our high priest is still active. Remember, the context is still about entering into spiritual rest. Jesus ascended into heaven, completed the work of redemption, and what is he doing? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and what is it that the whole context is about? Entering rest. What's he doing? He's praying for you that you'll enter that place of victory that he has for the people of God. We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So what should we do? Hang on, people. Hang on. Hang on. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So only those things that cannot be shaken will remain. That's the time frame we're starting to enter into. Hold fast to what you believe. You don't have to check your brains at the door, but how many times have we heard here to hold fast? Don't dialogue with the devil. Don't interact with false teachers. Don't let them deceive you. Hold fast to what you believe and what you know to be true. Hang on to the faith we profess. The author is calling them. Don't let go now. Hold on. Hold on a little longer. Hold on. Hold fast. We've all seen people that have walked away. And if I could encourage you in any way this morning, it would be to hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to your faith. 
Don't let it be stripped away. If I'd heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. The pastor that I grew up under, Raymond Booth, was, uh, I, I, uh, I referred to him once as the prophet Amos because he came to, from the south to prophesy in the north. He was a Missouri um, man who came to, the, to Iowa, and uh, I grew up under his minute, full of country wisdom. I was sitting in a prestry meeting, tremendous privilege of being able to serve on the state board with him at the same time after I'd moved on from um, serving under him. So I grew up there and I worked with him for four years and we were talking about a pastor who was doing some things that just weren't ethical, they weren't right. And we're all rustling around, hey, I don't know, what do you think about this? What do you, you know, I don't know, what do you think? And we're all bound up in this discussion and uh, Pastor Booth said, look, you all know that guy's nuttier than a squirrel. <laughs> the room, every... yeah, that is, that's probably the truest thing that's been said. Turned it, full of folk wisdom. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. He can pull you through a knot hole if you'll keep holding on. He can take a camel through the eye of a needle if you keep holding on. He will pull you through. The goal is that you not let go. Don't let go. But it hurts. It hurts. Yes, but it's going to hurt a lot more if you let go. It's not to fall. It's when you hit the ground. Keep holding on. When you don't know what to do, when life is filled with pain, when the answers seem a million miles away, when you're wandering in the wilderness, what do you do? Hold on. Hold on. Somebody hear me this morning. Keep holding on. Don't let go of your faith. He will pull you through because he's in heaven interceding in your behalf. It's the faith we profess because if you understand, this is the best part. I've done this whole morning to just say what I'm going to say next. Can't hardly stand it. It's going to be so good. Listen, I'm telling you the promise still stands. I'm telling you, the word is still powerful. I'm telling you that the high priest is still active. So then, let us approach God's throne. What is his throne? It's his throne of grace. How do you know it's a throne of grace? Oh, because I know when I approach that throne, he's been touched with everything that I feel. Remember when I talked about how I didn't have any sympathy for people that had to put a pet down until I had to put down our dog. Listen, when I go to that throne, it's a throne of grace. Why? Because he's walked where I walked. He lived where I live. He's felt all that I feel. And when I go, I'm not going to a throne of judgment or justice or works. I'm going to the throne of grace, the undeserved favor of God. That's where I'm going throne of grace and I can do it with confidence because what am I going to find I'm going to find mercy oh man that's a whole sermon in itself do you know what grace is grace is when you get what's not what you haven't earned 
Mercy is when you don't get what you have earned. Oh, I wish I knew how to dance. You're going before the throne of grace. And what will you receive? Mercy. Do you know what that implies? It implies that broken, struggling people are coming to the throne and needing his help. They're having a hard time holding on that the world is beating them and pounding them. And they want to get into that place of rest, but they can't find it. And they're holding on. And so they go to the throne room of grace with confidence and receive mercy. When you come to him, He's not going to slap you around. And when you come, first he says, Barry, it's okay, son. Come to me. The judgment you deserve has now been has been removed because of that high priest who's sitting right there. And now I can give you mercy. And when you get here, I'm going to dump grace all over your life. It's the throne of grace where we, were t- where we find mercy and then we find grace to help. When? In our time of need. Do you see? This promised land living is not just a cool idea. It's the saving of your life. It's the saving of your life. You can enter his rest. So I'm going to put all the sermon into one concluding thought. You have to leave Egypt. The sin and curse of this world, you have to leave Egypt and head to a place of peace, prosperity, and presence so that you can be a blessing to the world. And there's only one way to do it. We come before his throne. Wherever you are this morning, if you're struggling, if you're thinking about giving up, don't! Hold fast! Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Come before the throne in your need, and you will find mercy and grace to help that will carry you through. Don't let go. Hold fast. Because there's a promised land that he wants us to live in. If you want to live in that promised land, would you stand with me this morning? I want to live there. And lift your hands and thank him that he is a great high priest. Thank him for his blessing. Thank him for his anointing. Thank him for his touch. Just love him for a moment. Love him, love him, love him. Come with confidence before that throne. Come with confidence before that throne this morning. You'll find mercy and you'll find grace that will help you in your moment of need. Worship him. Worship him, worship him. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. Comfort my shelter, your tower. 
to the promise I had in you, Lord. Sing my Jesus, my Jesus. over you this morning, and I don't take that term lightly, but I feel like God's given me a word for this body today. If you will stop basing your well-being on social media and news reports, quit looking at the world and its system and its prognosticators, and immerse yourself in my word, the Lord will say to you, 2021 will not be a year of fear. It will not be a year of depression. It will not be a year of defeat. But you will experience in relationship to me peace at greater depths than you have ever known. A prosperity that you have only ever dreamed of and my presence in a way beyond what you have ever experienced. And I will empower you to take it to the nations around you. In Jesus' name, I believe that to be true and I prophesy that over you this morning. This can be a year not of fear, but a year of his faith.
favor. <laughs> because I have, well, I'm about ready to preach again. I'm trying not to. Because I have a high priest who knows me. And he's in the heavenlies. And in my time of need, I can approach a throne of mercy. And I will receive mercy and find grace to help. That's who we serve. Quit looking to Capitol Hill and start looking to the hill from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And there are great days ahead for the people of God. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning.